Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the ADM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and today I am joined by Dr. Megan Connell, and she is a former Army psychologist and is now working for what is the name of the Southeast Psych, I believe, in Charlotte? That's correct. Okay. You have a very interesting background. I'm very eager to uh, talk with you here today. You've been getting more active in kind of the D&D community, both with streaming some some D&D content and also launching a YouTube series about psychology and D&D, which is amazing and very cool. I'm excited to talk about that. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Starting off, in general, maybe what led you to a career in psychology? I realize that's a big question, but when, how young were you when that process started? It was um, probably right before I went to college. I realized that people were always coming and talking to me about stuff that was going on in their lives and just like to process stuff with me. And I, I enjoyed helping people. And so uh, I originally started this path as trying to be a music therapist, but I am not a very good guitar player. So I ended up uh, needing to change, do a career change. Uh, I sat down with my advisor at uh, my undergraduate school at uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and we talked that I either needed to take about a year off and really focus on learning how to play the guitar or switch my major. And at that point, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. So I decided just to get my degree and go on to grad school. And when did the military come into play? Uh, so part of actually what made me want to be a psychologist was uh, September 11th. I wanted to help out, um, and I knew I wanted to be a psychologist and figured with going um, into war that we would you know, be needed. There would be a lot of psychological trauma. And so I went and got my training, um, and actually halfway through grad school, I joined the Army through a scholarship program. So I had the second half of my grad school paid for by the Army, which was very nice. And then uh, went on to intern with the Army and uh, did my postdoc and then deployed to Iraq right after I got licensed. Wow. And so what year were you over in Iraq? Uh, 2011 for Operation New Dawn. Okay. Since we're very close here to, to Veterans Day, just a week or so afterwards, um, certainly thank mm -hmm. you for your service. And uh, I've been working at the Veterans Affairs myself as a psychologist for the past almost 10 years. Uh, I get oh, that's my, awesome. I get my 10-year pin here in the next year, so that'll be exciting. So. How did D&D &D become part of the mix or role-playing games? How did that get intertwined with your professional activities? Well, so I uh, started playing D&D back uh, when I was in middle school in 1993, and I stepped away from the hobby uh, for way too long. And then I started watching uh, a lot of Geek and Sundry, and actually I was watching Will Wheaton's Ashes of Valhalla series, or Valhalla series, and um just really got intrigued and, you know, reignited my passion for role playing and how much I had enjoyed it as a kid. And then I started watching Critical Role and I just was like, all right, we got to start playing again. So we actually started off in my family with playing Fantasy Age and then we switched over to the starter kit of D&D. &D. And through playing, I've started joining a couple other campaigns and realized it was incredibly therapeutic. You kind of couldn't help but run into your own issues as you role played. And so my psychologist brain started kicking in thinking, man, there's got to be a therapeutic benefit to doing this and working with it and started networking with some of the other psychologists who have been using D&D therapeutically, uh, like Dr. B out in Seattle and the guys at the Haas Workshop. Mm -hmm. And uh, you started my own group at Southeast Psych when I joined them last year. Uh, so I run two groups there and uh, we're Myself and my colleague, Dr. Ryan Kelly, were trying to develop a module, actually, with Wizards of the Coast that's uh, specifically to teach social skills to kids on the spectrum. And we're hoping to get some research done with that and move in, in that direction. But it's been a really exciting ride of um, diving in and really getting active in this community. That's amazing. And I, I've had the pleasure of speaking with the Wheelhouse Workshop guys several months ago. So that's a past episode. If you haven't heard that, go check that out. How would you describe your approach to the D&D &D therapy group. So I believe it's geared toward ages 9 to 14 or so? Yes, yeah, so I have two different groups. So the first one that you're referring to is there are social skills groups. So that's for boys and girls who are just struggling with social skills. So that's mostly kids on the spectrum, kids with severe ADHD or severe uh, social anxiety. And so we're taking an approach of getting them to work together, learn some you know different ways of problem solving, uh, you know throwing challenges at them that 
don't involve kill the thing as the solution, mm -hmm. uh, where they have to work together and kind of come up with strategies and build relationships and uh, do, you know, hit all kinds of different social cues in play. And then the other group I run is for girls only ages 13 to 18, where we actually focus on empowerment and assertiveness skills through play. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Uh, so it's one of those things of there's, I just don't feel like there's enough girls at the table yet. There's still a lot of barriers for girls to come in and play and feel like they're welcome to play. And so I wanted to create a safe space for girls to come in and learn the game, learn how to role play, but also a chance to learn how to stand up for themselves in a place where it was safe in a place where they didn't feel like there were real world consequences. So where they, if they didn't like how someone was treating them, they could say so and, you know, go and be that, you know, dominant personality that's standing there not taking anything from anyone. And uh, I've actually gotten to see that kind of come, come around in the group as the girls are given different situations. A lot of times they'll really stand up for themselves in amazing ways. And it seems to be a very helpful tool for that. And I spoke with a previous guest, uh, Katrina from fantasy flight games about this about kind of the difference between tables, more or less kind of where the majority is uh, boys or men versus uh, tables that are all women, um, all females, and that the dynamics tend to be very, very different in those games from her perspective. What have you noticed uh, when that happens? Yeah, there's definitely a difference between the two. And I'll say probably with the two groups I run, uh, the biggest difference would be volume. Um, the girls don't <laughs> tend to be as loud as the guys, but it's also a younger group of guys, so that it tends to happen. Um, and the girls, it, there's a lot more willingness to turn take and to problem solve together and approach a solution as, a, you know, they, when you present a problem to these girls, a lot of times they stop and they all talk together before they kind of, come to an agreement of what they're going to do. Whereas the other group, you throw a problem at them, everybody's throwing in their opinion all at once into the mix. And so especially if you're feeling a little bit more shy or, you know, not as outspoken, you're going to get lost in that group. And so that's, you know, trying to teach those kids how to take that step back and listen to what other people are saying and take other people's perspectives into account is a, is a bit of a challenge, but it's also part of what we're doing with that group is learning that perspective taking. And so I'm curious with your your training as a mental health provider and being a, a dungeon master or running a game, how do those Venn diagrams overlap in your mind of like being a DM and running a, a pretty good game and also just paying attention to people having empathy? Like how do those two things mix in your world? They mix actually pretty fluidly, I think. It's I mean, I came into DMing already as a psychologist, so I think for me it was a fairly easy transition because I already had the clinical mindset coming into it, which was pretty handy. And so even when I'm DMing games that aren't clinical, there's I'm paying attention to those kinds of things just because that's what my brain does now. But, you know, I think it's important to pick up on the nonverbal cues. I, I would say that would be probably the biggest difference where – when I'm running a group just for friends and I see somebody acting a little bit withdrawn and bored, I'm thinking, oh, I just need to pick up the tempo. Whereas in a therapy group, it's more going, okay, what's going on here in the dynamic that's causing them to withdraw? How do I, you know, subtly pull them out? How can I get the other players to encourage them to come out and to play? And so there's a few you know, subtle differences with playing for fun versus playing for therapy. I like that, the fun, playing for fun versus playing for therapy. In terms of playing for, for fun, how do you turn that part of your brain off if, if you need to? Or do you just kind of channel that into a kind of a productive way to check in with people and kind of manage the table? Oh, and definitely keep the fun even in a therapy group. But it's just more thinking we're layering on to it. So it's we're keeping it fun, but we're trying to add that element of I think when I'm running a game that's for pleasure, you know, I'm just going to throw an interesting monster at the players to give them a challenge. You know, for the therapy group, I'm thinking, okay, what skills can I have them build as a result of this encounter? Um, for example, last week with the social skills group, uh, they were given a challenge of getting rid of three hill giants that were harassing a village. But they were told specifically they could not attack these hill giants because if they did so, they would restart a giant war and nobody wanted the giant war to start again. And so they had to problem solve of how to get these three very stupid giants to leave this village alone. Okay. And, well, how, how did they end up doing it? Uh, they started off trying to uh, bargain with them and intimidate them, 
which was actually working because they were failing every single insight check uh, that they had because the intelligence is just so low. But uh, in the end, what they decided to do was actually go and find a cloud giant to basically scold them and send them back to where they need to go. Nice. Uh, so it was really creative, though. They, they were all sitting there trying to problem solve. Uh, they were going to bribe them with food, and they realized that there was no way their characters could collect enough food to appease these hill giants. So that was when they decided, like, no, I think we need to go get a cloud giant. This is maybe something more than we can handle. So you also have a, a recent series that you started on, on YouTube. You have a, a channel on there where you talk specifically about psychology and D&D. So this seems to be something that is a, a really big force for you right now creatively why did you want to start the series uh so the reason i wanted to start that series was primarily it was kind of inspired by reddit um i was going through a lot of the D reddits and um as always you know when you see sort of the problem player threads you get a little curious and you want to read about that and see what's going on here and it seemed like a, as i was reading through a lot of the threads things people were describing were friends who were going through depression friends who were anxious um, accidentally triggering a friend who had PTSD at the table and not knowing what to do. And so I wanted to create a resource to help dungeon masters who have a friend who's going through something and how they can make their table more accommodating to that person, how they can help their friend. You know, not to give clinical advice. I don't want to turn them into clinicians. That's not appropriate, but more like, mm -hmm. hey, if your player's depressed and they don't want to come out and play, here's some ways you can maybe encourage them. Here's some things you can do to maybe lift their spirit a bit. Um, here's how to have a conversation about a difficult topic. You know, here it's not gossip fodder. It's stuff that's between you two. And just, you know, I thought it would be a good resource for dungeon masters to have. One of the things that you, you talk about early on, I think it's in the intro video is kind of a key component when these things might come up at the table is to talk to players, which yeah. I think is a, a wonderful piece of advice for, for any DM out there. I mean, certainly I encourage everyone to go check out check out your videos and look at the whole thing. But to summarize, like, why is that important? Like, what do you mean by talk to your players? So often when we see a problem with somebody, we don't talk to them about it. We just go, what the hell is the matter with Jim? Like, why is he acting so weird? And instead of just pulling him aside and being like, hey, man, what's going on? You're acting off tonight. And it's, I think we have this implicit fear of, if someone tells me something that horrible is going on in their life, I'm going to have to fix it. And that's not the expectation. You know, the expectation is just to be a friend and just to listen. And it, as a therapist, sometimes that's the biggest thing that we can do for people is just to listen to what's going on and to go, I hear you. Mm -hmm. And just to sit with them in that and not to fix it and just to be like, okay, that's a lot. And then, you know, for the dungeon masters to listen and go, is there anything I can do to help? I think part of this too is to destigmatize de mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so please dive into that topic. Yeah. You know, if our friends, you know, going through something, a lot of us, we, again, we have that feeling of like, ah, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to run away from it. And that's the wrong answer because, you know, people who are going through a hard time, whether it be, you know, a bad depression, a breakup, anxiety, uh, just anything, they don't want their friends to run away from them. That's the fear is that people are going to run away. And so giving somebody just some basic little how-tos to lean into their friends and to say, like, hey, I'm here for you. We're here for you. How can we support you and love you through this process that you're going through? You know, that's ultimately the hope of this is just you know, to destigmatize this and make it okay and make this a safe place for people. And I think my approach over the years of, like, I've been writing a blog and I started this podcast is, you know, with my psych background – really to echo what you're saying, like I'm not trying to make other people clinicians at their table, which mm -hmm. wouldn't be appropriate by any means, but kind of using some principles of psychology or some theories or some ideas and maybe pointing out things that happen really in any gaming group and how you can maybe do things a little bit differently or engage people in a way that improves the game and the kind of gameplay for everyone. So it sounds like you're trying to really get across that same idea. Yeah, definitely. You know, and uh, I was I had the honor of being on uh, GM Tips with Satine Phoenix, and uh, one of the things I was talking about with her is the idea of that session zero. You know, it's so important to have a mm -hmm. session zero before you start playing, but then every few months have a short session zero check-in. You know, if you're playing in a weekly game, you know, every two to three months just kind of pause the game for 10 minutes and say, all right, let's just check in. Is 
this story going the way you want? Is there anything that's getting too close to a no-go topic for anybody? Do you have any updates on no-go topics or things you're liking, things you're not liking? And that helps you as a DM to make sure that your players are enjoying the game as well. And, and so what do you mean by, because some folks might not be familiar with that, a, what does Session Zero mean for you? So Session Zero is the session that you have before you start playing. This is the time where you talk about what type of campaign are we going to be playing. You find out your care, your uh, player's preferences as far as do they like high fantasy games, do they want to play an evil campaign, do they want to play a horror campaign, do they like no magic, light magic. Um, and you as a DM can start setting up your expectations of letting them know what the house rules are, letting them know anything that is not going to be allowed at your table, any you know special things to consider. And this makes sure that you don't get into murky waters that you don't want to dive into. Um, and also I think that a thing that's really a good idea to set up during session zero is just to talk about um, a signal that you can do if things are getting too emotionally charged at the table. I think when a, at our table we say, you know, let's close the curtain okay. or, or fade to black. Um, if that's, if something's getting to be too much. And, and you mentioned it a, a few moments ago where you talked about kind of agreeing to what are no-go topics or, mm -hmm. you know, content that everyone at the table agrees, like the, these aren't things that we don't want in the game. What are some of the topics that have come up for some of your groups? Uh, so one of them would be uh, is sexual violence against, you know, uh, from PCs to NPCs mm -hmm. are no-goes. Um, Extreme violence to children. Some people just don't like uh, veiled comments on or commentary on our society. You know, they like a political game, but not political commentary on what's going on in our world kind of thing. Um, and some just tropes that people are sick of. You know, it's not necessarily like a this would be a bad thing to have in the game. It's just I don't enjoy a game where we start in a tavern. I'd like it to be something else or you know, things like that. Okay. So it can be everything from you know, traumatizing things that you really don't see to just stories that you're maybe a little sick of. And how does that help you? And how do you think it helps the players just by hashing all that out before the game even gets started? Well, essentially what we're doing is we're agreeing on what kind of house we're going to build. You know, we all come to this game with a different expectation. And if we go, you know, if we've got one player who wants a high seas epic pirate adventure, someone else who wants something like Lord of the Rings, and someone else who wants some sort of steampunk adventure. Everybody's going to end up being disappointed because the GM's going to run a traditional, uh, you know, a Sword Coast adventure. And so it's how do we all agree that this is the type of game we're going to play? So we all have similar expectations, and then we all can work together. The other thing too that. A session zero can really do that's great for DMs is bring the party together before you even start. You can set up that expectation. I like I, I make it one of my house rules is no lone wolves. You can be a bit of a loner in your past, but you have to find the reason why your character is with this group. I don't I, I do not want to have to be the DM who has to deal with the players going. I just don't know why my character's here. It's like your character needs to have a reason to be adventuring with people. That's that's what we're all coming to the table for. You need to know why your character wants to be with other people out adventuring. I, I really like your idea of the, the no-go topics. I honestly haven't done that one in the past. I think I certainly will in the future. I have done that in the most recent group I started. The first time we met was kind of finalizing character development and really detailing how do you all know each other? Why are you Why are you traveling together? Because like you said, otherwise it just seems to be like everyone has their own solo adventure going on and it creates problems down the road. Yeah, yeah, you want them to be united under something. Anyway, it doesn't have to be a very strong thing. Um, I read uh, one suggestion where it was create bonds. So you have one strong bond with another mm -hmm. character and one weak one with another one. And the weak bond can be as simple as this person seems interesting. I want to see what they do next or they remind me of my little brother. And the strong bond could be something like uh, they don't know it, but they saved my life, you know, back in a town or something like that. And so it's just these little connections that the players create for one another so that they have a reason to be together. Yeah, and, and our group at least had fun putting that together and coming mm -hmm. up as people were saying, here's how I know this character. Somebody else would jump in and say, oh, well, maybe that's how I got to know you as well, and that would trigger something else. And it was – we spent a good – I don't know, must have been like an hour to 90 minutes going through all of that. And I think it really helps 
the rest of the whatever adventure you're getting into because you have more of a foundation to to build on. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I my my other favorite way of starting too though is uh, to introduce them as their is just go around the table and say, why are you out adventuring? And then to start the narrative with going around the table saying, okay, you're out to save your sister. You're out to seek revenge. And then having this idea of everything fades to black and they hear a roaring and suddenly they wake up and they're with the other party members and they've lost six months of time. And they're somewhere they, no one knows where they are. And so it's, here's four or five strangers who all wake up together and they don't know why they're together and they don't know where they are or what's going on. And so it kind of gives them that implicit bond of like, I don't know who you are, but you went through the same thing as me. So I'm going to stick with you because something's happening. And it is part of the campaign kind of figuring out what happened or did you just let them fill in the blanks? How does that work? Uh, nobody's gotten to a point where they can start figuring out what happened quite yet. Um, one group has started getting close to getting a few of the clues but it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be one of those uh, larger level arcs. And what, the way I'm running my groups now is new players who join in start at level two. But if you keep playing, you keep leveling up your characters. So we're going to have a mix of levels at the table. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so there is going to be an overarching theme that's going to run from level two to 20. But, you know, it's going to take probably a couple of years to get there. So it'll be interesting to see as people piece it together and how things go. One of the other things in your video you mentioned about the session zero is talking with the group, again, talking to players, which is very important, but mm -hmm. talking with them about how you're going to resolve conflicts. And so what do you mean by that and why do you think that's important? Well, I think, you know, we all want to live in the dream world where we never fight with our friends, but that's just not true. We argue and we get into fights and it's important, like if something's going on, how do we want to come back together? How do, you know, what kind of, you know, when we get into a fight, how do we want to resolve that? Is this a, does the dungeon master need to call us out and say, you two need to go sit down and figure this out? Will we be mature enough to talk to one another and figure it out and just let our GM know that, okay, we, we fixed it. Um, or do we need to like maybe everybody sit down together and work on it? You know, cause it, especially if you're playing a long campaign, you are going to have players that get frustrated with one another. And Absolutely. You got to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I know from my groups many, many years ago, I just remember one situation that came up. I, I think it had to do with one player touched another player's mini and it just, or miniature, and it just sort of escalated from there. And being able to, one, recognize that those things are happening, I think that's something else where maybe our training in helping to de-escalate situations can be useful, but obviously not everyone is, a, again, a mental health provider. We're not trying to turn people at the table into mental health providers mm -hmm. or patients. But what are some useful strategies you think any game master can use to de-escalate situations when they arise? Because like you said, people get frustrated, tempers can flare. Um, how, can, how can a GM handle that? Uh, take a break. You know, that's the first thing. It's like, give everybody five minutes to take a breather, whether it's we need to break for dinner, we need, you know, like, maybe it's just as a DM, you say, like, hey, I need to go use the bathroom, and you step away from the table for five minutes and give the players some time away from the game to cool down and see how that goes. Um, another thing is, is like, if things have escalated to the point that people are actually arguing, um, just kind of a basic conflict resolution thing, you know, if they're not arguing about the topic they're talking about. There's something else below that that's what's really angering them and frustrating them. And so if we keep trying to just solve the problem of he touched my mini, that's not getting at what they're actually angry about. You know, it's probably something along the lines of they're not respecting my boundaries, they're not respecting my decisions. You know, so how do we get down to the real issue and solve the real issue? That's a good jumping off point. I got into a, a Twitter conversation with someone, well, actually a few people a few months back about, I think I had tweeted out just the suggestion of, which I thought was kind of straightforward of, you know, don't ever play somebody else's character when they're at mm -hmm. the table. And by that I meant don't add up their dice for them, don't take actions for them and things like that. And some folks pushed back a little bit of, well, well what if they really struggle with math and I can help them out and speed up the process because they usually take a long time. And I was like, 
yeah, especially then you want to check in with them and see, do they actually want help with that? Mm-hmm. And I think the whole idea of asking asking for permission, can I assist with your character, is kind of a useful tool at the table. I don't know. What are, you, what are your whole thoughts about that? Actually, that ties in. I'm uh, working on a video series right now for the psychology of the table on learning disorders. And okay. Talking about mathematics disorders and saying that you can house to you know house rule that you do have a buddy system for adding up the dice, um, and so but that needs to be an explicit thing that's for everybody, not mm-hmm. just the player who struggles. But yeah, you know, I think at higher levels there's a lot of benefit to one person rolling and the other person adding um, because the person who's rolling is probably anxious because it's usually a big huge battle that you're involved in, and then it also keeps the other player engaged. Because, um, you know, too often players check out when it's not their turn. And so that can be helpful. But it's got to be something where you're not singling out the person who struggles with math. You know, if if they're asking for help, if they're saying, hey, like, can someone help me add my dice? That's fine. Do that then. Sure. But if they haven't asked for the help, don't just jump in and do it. Ask. You know, it's that talk to them, use your words and say, like, right. hey, do you, do you want me to ha- help you? Yeah, I think where it gets it can get. I was going to say dicey, but then I realized that was a really <laughs> terrible pun. Oh, it's uh, an excellent pun. Come on yes, now. <laughs> where, where things get dicey is, you know, somebody rolls and the the next person over calls out like, oh, they rolled an 18. Is that mm-hmm. a hit? And it's like you're, t- you're sort of stealing the thunder of the other person's character. Like, yes, you are maybe speeding up the session, but you're definitely invading the boundaries of somebody else, potentially. Yeah. And it would be best to talk about those things openly ahead of time. You know, hey, would it? Would you like help adding up the dice? And if a person says no, then respect that. And if they say mm-hmm. yes, then great. And you know, it can get to the point where everyone at the table gets frustrated with the one person who maybe has some type of learning disorder, and it's not talked about, and it's like everyone's rolling their eyes. And then, as a as a DM, what do you think is one way to resolve that? Also, again, we're going to go back to talk to your player. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's not talk to them in front of everybody. It's pull them aside and say, look, you know, I noticed that, you know, and it's not a you're you you're slowing down the table. You don't want to be accusatory. It's hey, I notice it you're struggling. It's taking you a while to add up your dice. What can we do to help that? There's it's creating some frustration at the table. And I want to make sure that everything's running smoothly, you know, and there's a lot of dice roller apps that you can get. I mean, even letting the person just use a calculator can mm-hmm. be really helpful. Sure. Um, and one of the things to remember with people who have a learning disorder, they know it and they know right. their tricks. They know the things that work for them. And so if they come and say like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm dyslexic or I have a mathematics disorder or I have a language processing disorder. I ask them like, okay, so what does that mean for you? And what are things I can do to help you in the game? You know, it might be a, I need stuff written down. Like if we're getting a lot of information, I need to have it written down, you know, and you as a DM don't need to be the person to write it down for them. Uh, chances are you have a note keeper in your group, you know, the person who spirit animal is Hermione Granger and just takes copious notes on everything. And you have that person sit next to your note keeper. That person is the best. <laughs> that that person is me in my group. I have, I, I even know what page of my notes things are on. It's kind of, it's a problem. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> But, you know, it's working with them to find the solution, because if you have struggled with something for your entire life, you have figured out workarounds. You know, the world doesn't accommodate to you all the time. And so it's you figure out like, hey, as long as I can hear the pronunciation of all these weird words, I know what they are then. So if you can read these words out loud to me, that helps a lot. Or if we're having a disagreement over a rule or a spell, can you read it out loud to me so I hear it? Or, you know, for people who struggle with math, it's like, can I have a cheat sheet chart that's going to help me figure out my modifiers? Can, you know, someone help me add add up my dice? We want to just find the thing that's going to work for them and increase their fun. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're at the table for is to have a good time and to play. Even if you're doing it therapeutically, you're there to have fun. You know, the reason my therapy groups work so well is because people are having fun. Like, it's that thing of when you're having fun, you don't realize you're learning. That's just a great time. It, it sounds like the opposite of one of my first training experiences. I was like a prac student on a university campus, and I was running a group for anxiety. So, of course, it was like 
you know, advertise as like, if you have anxiety, come to this group. And everyone was too anxious to come to the group. Yeah. <laughs> so attendance was like painful throughout that entire like training experience. And that's why I think some of the, I've been really excited to talk with you and some other people who are trying to get creative and use something like a tabletop game to engage people to get them there. And then you can do some useful clinical work as part of that process. I just think it's a really great way to engage people. Yeah. You know, and it's, you got to do what works, you know, if sitting people down and saying like, okay, we're going to teach you how to properly have a conversation and how social skills should work. Like nobody wants to do that. Like no one wants to go to that class, but sitting down and saying, okay, we're going to give you a, a social structure that you're expected to follow and you're going to have to problem solve and you're going to battle some cool monsters. And if you do really well, you're going to get these cool magic items and get to cast spells and go on epic adventures with your friends. That sounds so much more fun. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <Sounds great. laughs> but you know, just because it's fun doesn't mean it can't be learning. And I think that's one of the things that we, um, in our culture struggle with a lot. We don't understand that fun things can involve learning. They can teach us, you know, whether it's video games or um, tabletop gaming or just, you know, art or music, there are all these things that are enjoyable to do and can be incredibly, you know, uh, healing and teach us things about ourselves. Like this, a, a few weeks ago with one of my social skills groups, I had a kid and, um, they got to town and they wanted to do the video game thing of, okay, let's sell everything and buy better stuff when we get, get to town for the first time. And I do this thing where I fold down my DM screen when we're pausing the game. And uh, so I put this on pause for a second. And it's like, guys, think about this. Your characters are thousands of miles potentially away from home. You don't know where you are, what's going on. What is your character feeling right now? And this one kid in the back, you just saw the light go off in his face and he went, Oh, I need to do what my character wants to do, not what I want him to do. And he's like, my character would be completely freaked out and probably just want to go to the inn and sit down and get a hot meal and try to figure out what's going on. He wouldn't be interested in selling stuff right now. And sure. you could spend months talking about theory of mind with this guy and you wouldn't have gotten to that. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a wonderfully powerful moment of like, yes, this is awesome. This is what we're doing here. Yeah. Th those moments whether it's at a gaming table or in therapy when you're doing like kind of work or you just, just even seeing another player have the, a, a cool moment. It just, it's really fun to be on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. You were talking about coming up with a video for, or putting together a video about learning disorders. I, you've already had some videos specifically dealing with um, depression, anxiety. And, and one of the questions I got from someone who follows me on Twitter is, you know, how do I help a, Another uh, person at the table who's having quite a few quote unquote down days to encourage them to make sessions, you know, maybe where players are feeling down, they're canceling, or maybe not interacting with other people at the table. Kind of ties in with your the video you put up there about depression, but how do you encourage people to in, to engage with players that might be dealing with some of those symptoms? So, you know, getting them to the table is such an important piece of that. You know, maybe it depends on, you know, how your group is run, but maybe it's you bring the game to that person, mm. you know, okay. rather than DMing or having a game at the usual person, you know, other people's houses. We call up the person who's struggling a little bit and say, hey, we're invading you. <laughs> your friends are coming to you and we're going to play. And, you know, maybe create some sort of uh, problem or situation that that person's character is needed to solve the problem. You know, we need, if they're the wizard, you know, maybe it's we need a high intelligence spell to be able to solve this puzzle. Or if it's a rogue, like, hey, we need that connection to the Thieves Guild in order to solve this next part of our arc. You know, we can't go forward without you. We need you here. We want you here. That's one of the things I, I, I think is a key skill as uh, as a DM is this idea of being a facilitator. Uh, mm -hmm. And you talk about in the one uh, kind of psychology and D&D intro video, and I, I might butcher the exact quote, but you said dungeon mastering is people management. Yes. And it just seems to tie into this idea uh, that you just mentioned. So what do you mean by that, this idea that DMing is people management? 
Well, it's just you have a story and you have this quest that you want your players to go on, but they're, they're people. They get sucked into the shiny thing over here. You know, you, um, Amy Warpole mentioned this the other night, you know, it's like, as you're describing a scene, you might just mention a bush just to kind of build what the image looks like. And suddenly your players are like, let's investigate this bush. We must find it out. They, the DM mentioned a bush. It must be important. You know, and so it's understanding what do your players cue into. It's how do I hook them? How do I pull them into this? You know, if, you know, you're trying to do a murder mystery type thing and none of your players are into that, they're not going to go there. They're going to go somewhere else. And so you got to manage those players. You got to manage those personalities and say, okay, how do I either let go of my story and understand they don't want to play that one and find the story they want to play? Or how do I find the right hook to bring them back into this intrigue and this stuff that I've spent months planning? And so that's where it is. It's understanding like people and what draws people in and how they want to interact and engage with your story. Yeah, it reminds me of, I had written an article, I think at this point, like six years ago, which just in some ways blows my mind, but um, <laughs> about this idea of, like, it was a suggestion of, like, telling DMs, like, well, be careful if you put an altar in an encounter and it doesn't mean anything because your players will try to find a way to make it mean something. Any kind of, like, altars or fountains or some things that are just meant for decoration and your players will try to key into it and be like, oh, no, this this has to be something. How do you do? You usually kind of roll with what the players come up with, or do you redirect? Uh, well, it depends on the situation. It depends yeah. on what they're doing. Because um, sometimes the players come up with an idea, and you're like, "Wow, that's better than what I had planned," mm-hmm. and you just roll with it. You know, I there's this great training video from um, uh, oh gosh, the family therapist of Millman, no Minutia from the '70s, where he and his students are sitting and they're watching a family interact. And they're looking at the identified patient. They pause the video and they start theorizing what's going on, what's happening with this family dynamic. And they gradually, they're kind of getting on a roll. They seem to have this really good theory going on of what's happening with the family. And Manish just looks at everybody and goes, stop, 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 stop. We've got to stop talking right now because we're about to believe what we say. We have to get into the room and we have to see what's actually going on. You know, we can't believe our theory just because we're practiced at this. We have a theory, but we have to be able to let it go in case we're wrong. If we buy into this too soon, it's going to be bad. And as a clinician, that's one of the things I always hold on to with my clients is like, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And in my theory of what's going on in their life, what what's happening with them could be wrong. And I keep that as a DM as well. It's like, my story might not be the right story for them. I have an arc, I have an idea, but maybe this isn't the right story. I can't be too tied into my story. I can't hold on to it so tightly that I force the players down a railroad. You know, I, you make a story on the rails, but you don't railroad them. You let them guide you. And maybe they find a set of rails that go off somewhere else in a more interesting direction that they're more engaged with. And you just got to kind of figure that out. What are some of the cues that you use for yourself to monitor? Am I wrong or am I right, so to speak? Uh, I gauge it by a player interest and how excited they are by the end of the session. You know, if they're the energy's up at the end of the session and they're all talking quickly and excitedly. I'm like, okay, we're, we're on the right track. But if we get to the end of the session and they're all frustrated and angry, like, all right, that was bad. We need to, let's scrap this and move on to, to something else, move in a different direction. But it's also just paying attention to what they cue into. My last social skills group, every one of them wanted a pet. That was their thing. <laughs> they couldn't care less really. I mean, they did want to go kill monsters, but Really, at the end of the day, they each wanted to have a pet, and that was what they were super excited about, and that was what motivated them to get from point A to point B. And cool, so we rolled with it. <laughs> you know, it's just finding that and being, you know, that improv thing that we do as DMs of yes and. You know, it's like, okay, I've got a pet. Okay, yes, and now you need to take care of it. And now you need to worry about what is your pet doing when you're in combat? <laughs> you know, when you have gone into this town, what is your pet doing? You know, and now I have another tool as a DM that I can use to, you know, create encounters and facilitate the story. And it's a lot of fun in that way. Excellent. One of the things I wanted to uh, check in with you about before we run out of time here is the the stream that you're doing now. So can you tell us a bit about Clinical Role? Yeah, it's a total blast. So um, on Twitter, I just reached out to a bunch of different psychologists that I had been interacting with that I knew were using D&D therapeutically and just said, hey, do you want to play? And not... Let's just play for fun. 
for us because we all DM a lot and we probably don't get to play very much. And uh, I got the Adam and Adam from Wheelhouse Workshop um, or Game to Grow Now. Uh, Dr. B from Seattle, my colleague, Dr. Ryan Kelly, uh, I'm DMing. And now we also have uh, Dr. Jana Scarlett is uh, our newest player. Yes, I've interv- interviewed her uh, in the past as well. She's great. Yeah, she's awesome. I, I, I got to keep her uh, joining the game, a total surprise from everybody, which was great because um, they were all very excited when she joined. Uh, so it's just us playing once a month for fun. Um, we're probably going to have some psychological themes in the story, but it's mostly a chance for us to show what D&D is and to show that, you know, the therapists on the other side of the screen are all humans too. We enjoy the game. This is what it is. And this is how, you know, and that we love it and we're passionate and excited about it. And fortunately, you know, it's such a blessing to have good players. And when your players are all DMs, they kind of understand how things go on the other side of the screen. So they're all great. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So how long have, has the group been meeting? Uh, we did a session zero and then we uh, just recently had our third session. And is so, that something that um, is your, people can watch at a scheduled time? Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to, we do it one Sunday a month. We might try and do it a little bit more frequently um, in the new year. We still got to kind of iron that out, but the Sunday changes because all of us are extremely busy um, parents and all of that. So that changes, but it's on uh Twitch.tv under Geeks Like Us, Geeks, uh, the E's in Geek is spelled with threes. And then um, I do edit down the videos and upload them to YouTube when I have time. But so far, I've only managed to upload the first session because I don't have that much time. (laughs) So uh, still trying to video edit down the second and third sessions to get up on YouTube as well under the Geeks Like Us tab. This is a selfish question, but I wonder, (laughs) speaking of the time management piece being... Being a professional, being a psychologist, having a family, uh, sounds like you know you're playing quite a bit. You're you know doing these videos, uh, streaming. How are you managing all of that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I I'm incredibly lucky. I have a wonderfully supportive husband who uh, is actually a stay-at-home dad and takes care of our kids. So I know that they're taken care of. Um, and I try to make sure that when I'm home, I'm home as much as possible you know, to give dedicated time to the family um, and just to work hard and try to be as efficient as possible, but also self-care. I actually get to play in a weekly game and my Sunday night is sacred. That is the playtime. And that is my recharge for the week and getting to connect with my friends who play D&D and just doing that every week is a huge thing for me. Um, That's part of what really gives me energy and inspiration to do everything that I'm doing. And do you typically do you DM? Do you, do you play as a player, or do you switch back and forth? What What do you prefer? Uh, I love playing. I mean, I love DMing too. Um, but I really, you know, I, I adore being a player. Um, so the game I play on Sundays, I play a Dragonborn Bard Warlock. So two levels of Warlock, ten levels of Bard. Uh, nice. I love playing her. She's just a blast to play. And then, um, but when our DM you know, can't do a game or something. A lot of times I'll step into the DM chair. Um, and we've had a few people rotate in and out of the DM chair just for fun, uh, when that doesn't work. But then, uh, you know, I DM the two therapeutic games during the week and then once a month DM clinical role. And we play that for, we try to shoot for about four to five hours of play when we do clinical role. Um, just cause we're only playing once a month. Nice. And so what is, you know, you've, sort of have these videos going on, um, kind of increasing the, the stream. Like what, what are some of the other future items uh, on your to-do list? Uh, well, so more psychology at the table. That's probably the biggest one. I'm also trying to make a short a video series of just really short introductory videos to the D&D where I'm walking through the character sheet. Where do you find your hit points? Where do you find this? Um, it's more of a guide for brand new players and parents of the kids who are in my groups to be like, what is this game that they're playing? They're talking about spells and their flaws. And where do we find this? What are, you know, help me understand this to, so mm-hmm. these ideas are like just quick three to five minute videos that will help out. Ideally, if I can, you know, find, find my time turner or get more time, I'd love to start streaming some more, um, just video games on the stream. Uh, I have a few, of my colleagues that I want to walk through some more of the psychologically themed, uh, independent games, like, uh, her story is one of my favorites. Okay. Um, and, uh, just some other things too, that we're doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's just not enough time. 
And I think you mentioned on a website about possibly expanding the D&D therapy to, to veterans. Yeah. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on how that might work? I would love to get a veterans group going of, um, you know, guys coming into play. It's a matter of finding the time getting and getting the players in and making it work. Um, it's, you know, I'm trying to grow, you know, I want to get several different groups going, but it's, you know, you want to grow them in a way that allows for the DM enough time to prep and, and play and also the enough players to be there. You know, so I'm really focusing on the two groups I got right now. Um, we're working on maybe doing a third of the social skills for older kids. And then uh, I'm working with some local veterans groups trying to get drum up some interest for a veterans group. That would be that would be amazing. I would love to hear about that if that ever gets up and running. There's actually a player uh, who I follow on Twitter who does run uh, PTSD groups specifically for D&D. So um, it is being done. Uh, just I, I haven't gotten a chance to do it yet. Something I wonder about from your perspective is because we've been talking a lot about D&D and somewhat from our per- perspective as mental health providers. But if there's DMs or players out there who, who listen to this and are really in the role playing games, but are now hearing about all this stuff going on with psychology and D&D and like wanted to maybe learn more about psychology, what what would be a good what would be a starting point for them? Uh, so just learning about psychology in general or? Yeah, like kind of taking the stigma out of therapy and psychology. Like where where would you point people toward? I think one of the books that I point people towards is um, The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. Okay. It's a self-help book, and it focuses on teaching the basic principles of, of acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a style of therapy that I use. But one of the things I just love about that book is it's written in very simple language, and it helps you understand that is suffering is just a human thing. You know, one of the things that I tell to my clients a lot is when they're talking about a struggle that they're going through or problems that they have, is I'll, I'll kind of look at them and nod and go, okay, so it sounds like you have a very well-functioning human brain that's creating some anxiety for you. That's what brains do. Mm-hmm. You know, and this idea that it's not like, oh, I have depression, I have this huge label on me. It's I'm going through something, and I need to learn some techniques to get through that. I really don't like diagnosing. It's probably one of my least favorite parts about being a psychologist, just putting that label on somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the military, and you probably see this too in the VA, just the idea of diagnosis threat. And you know, when someone's given that label, they suddenly will develop all the symptoms that they didn't have just to nicely accommodate their label. And it's such a frustration. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of a, a conversation I'll have with patients early on is that they might already have an idea of, well, this is what I'm diagnosed with. And I said, okay, that's does not mean that you have to have – that the rest of your life has to be about that diagnosis, that there's mm-hmm. other – there's coping strategies. There's things that you can do to live with this or even move beyond it in some ways. So I, I think for some folks, the diagnosis, and especially now, and this is also for medical issues, just searching something in Google and seeing mm-hmm. what comes up and then be like, oh, yeah, I have all these symptoms and not really speaking with a professional about it. It's it's just really toxic. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, you know, and like, one of the projects that I have on hold right now that I really want to get back to in the near future is uh, if you've ever seen the Awkward Yeti's Heart and Brain comics. Um, I, I am not familiar with that. No. Oh, my gosh. You've got to look at them. They're wonderful. Okay. Um, so it's the characters are the brain, which is, of course, our thinking self, and then the heart, which is sort of our impulsive self. And the mm-hmm. heart's you know, saying, like, I just want all the things. And the brain you know, is saying, like, no, we can't do this. And he has this wonderful way of capturing a lot of psychological themes in a very fun and funny way. Um, like one that I have on my desktop actually right now is the brain saying like, imagine the things we can do if only we had a little bit more confidence in the heart kind of trying to pull away saying, well, let me go and maybe we can find out, <laughs> you know? And, nice. and so finding creative ways to explain psychological themes to people is a lot of fun, you know? So, 
showing these comics, you know, talking about art, talking about movies. Um, at Southeast Lake, the location I'm at, we love the movies. We actually have a movie theater in our waiting room. It's awesome. Okay. And we love to talk about, you know, the, the themes that come up through movies. Um, like one of the movies I like to talk about with some of my clients is the um, uh, Under the Tuscan Sun. Uh, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's you know, a woman gets divorced and then she moves to Tuscany and rebuilds this villa. And she has this idea of what she wants her life in this villa to look like. And by the end of the movie, everything she's wanted has happened, but in a slightly different way than she had expect, you know, wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and so using those different creative uh, things like movies, like books, like D&D, you know, uh, even video games to bring in those themes and to talk about like, we'll see how this happened, but it happened slightly differently than expected. And, how that can compare to your own life and being flexible and understanding, you know, that we might be wrong and we have to look at things a little differently. Well, I'm really excited that you are out there kind of creating this content, showing people, um, kind of demonstrating how psychology and gaming can intermix. And, um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me here about it all today. If folks are interested in, uh, contacting you or have questions or want to follow up or check out some of the you know the videos and streams we were talking about how can they how can they find your stuff finding me uh twitter so megan Sidey psyd uh is my twitter handle and then on youtube under uh geeks like us again with geeks spelled with the threes um and then will be geeks like us.com um spelled both ways eventually and then also at southeastpsych.com you can find my profile there and I believe the clinical role also has its own Twitter. Yes, we have our Twitter handle for uh, yeah, clinical role. So it's just at clinical role with two L's. So. And you said that's on Twitch through the geeks. Geeks like us. Yep. And then okay. it will. And again, I'm, I'm working on editing down session two and session three to get up onto YouTube as well. Having done a little bit of YouTube editing just for some of the stuff I've thrown up there. I, I know that takes time. So yeah. <laughs> good luck with all that. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you know, maybe someday we can get you on a clinical role as a, for a one shot or something. Yeah. I mean, t- totally self-disclosing. I, as you were talking about that, I was like, I'm insanely jealous. I want to be a part of that game. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, I want to start having people come on too as, you know, one-off guests. I think we got to get through maybe two more sessions to kind of establish the arc that they're on. And then we could easily start having other people pop in for one or two games. Definitely keep me in mind. That would be, that would be awesome. Oh, definitely. will. well, thank you very much. Take care. You too. Thank you so much.